What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, the biggest aircraft order in United Airlines history. What 270 new jets mean for you and your legroom. United CEO Scott Kirby. This really is about as we come out of COVID and as we have confidence in the future, being able to rapidly change the airline for customers. Wall Street's star stock picker, Kathy Wood, is making a big Bitcoin bet. The question in everyone's mind is, is it possible, given maybe it has become more mainstream and more accepted, maybe it doesn't have 80 and 90% pullbacks anymore. Plus, dinero, l'argent, money. Language app Duolingo is filing for an IPO. Facebook is the newest member of the Trillion Dollar Club, and Jewel settles for $40 million. You don't need to instill a new addiction from scratch. Because we got enough addictions. We do. We do. Let me get my Starbucks. It's Tuesday, June 29th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's talk about shares of Facebook. They jumped more than 4% yesterday, bringing the company's market cap above a trillion dollars for the first time. This came after a federal court dismissed the Federal Trade Commission's antitrust complaint against the social network. The court also dismissed a parallel case brought by 48 state attorneys general. The FTC had sued Facebook last December, arguing that the company engaged in a systemic strategy to try and eliminate threats to its monopoly, including the acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp. But the court ruled that the FTC failed to prove its main contention, that Facebook holds monopoly power in the United States over personal social networking markets. The court chastised the agency for failing to provide an estimate for Facebook's market share at any point over the last 10 years, saying... It is almost as if the agency expects the court to simply nod to the conventional wisdom that Facebook is a monopolist. The ruling does leave the door open for the FTC to shore up the weak parts of its argument and file an amended complaint in the future. I believe that has to be done in the next 30 days. But, Andrew, this definitely strikes a blow um, against the regulatory efforts to try and rein Facebook in. It does. Um, I have to tell you, I, the ruling is a, is a fabulously written ruling. I mean, I just thought the, um, the rationale with which the judge explained it effectively, by the way, throws out the state's case completely. The state's case is gone. Uh, almost impossible for that to come back. Uh, the FTC case will get uh, refiled. He does make an interesting, he almost lays out the, what the FTC would need to do uh, when they try to replead this case, if they do, which you have to imagine uh, they will. But it's true. We all, and I don't want to say we all, but I think a lot of people, unfortunately, um, simply say size is, you know, if you're big, you're a monopoly. Uh, we regurgitate what a lot of these politicians and activists say as if it's just, uh, it's just truth. And the truth is that the law is very clear and different 
perhaps, than, than what people think. Now, by the way, there's lots of people who think the law should change. Um, and interestingly, either, and this will be a very interesting sort of test case, either you think Facebook is a monopoly or you think the law should change. It's sort of hard to believe that, you, that it can be both at the same time. So we, this will be a very interesting sort of test case as to all, how all things play out. But uh, if you're into this kind of reading, it's, uh, it's absolutely worth it because the judge makes some very, very interesting, not, not even bold or wild or radical uh, views, but explains uh, the law in a way that I don't think we often do uh, or do enough. Jewel Labs agreed to pay $40 million to the state of North Carolina to settle a lawsuit that alleged that the e-cigarette maker had targeted underage users. Now, the lawsuit alleged that Jewel designed and marketed those e-cigs to attract teenagers and misrepresented the potency of their nicotine. Jewel did not admit wrongdoing. As part of the settlement, the funds will go to support scientific research to curb youth vaping. 13 other attorney generals have now sued the company after regulatory pressure increased in 2019. Jewel halted most U.S. advertising, releasing uh, its overseas expansion and uh, stopped selling sweet and fruity flavors, uh, its valuation plunging uh, from $38 billion in 2018 to just about $4 billion right now. The FDA currently evaluating whether Jewel's products can remain on the U.S. market. And I don't know. Is the debate closed yet on vaping, guys? You know, we were talking about that. Remember Andrew, when, people, when, 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 you, when you said Jewel at the beginning, we both thought Jewel. We both thought Jewel. The singer. Jewel means nothing to me. <laughs> you know, I would like we never talked about this yeah. or thought about it in so long. I mean, I remember that there's right. a TV guy who was like on break, like doing it. it was like, what are you doing? I, is, you know, I just think, what do you? You need a nicotine delivery system? What's wrong with you? I don't. I don't know who does it. Or can I? It just don't. Don't do it, then you won't need it, right? If you don't need, if you don't we build up, as you know, there was there was a coffee. Yeah, as you drink your coffee. <laughs> there were a right. whole group of people who said it was a lot healthier than smoking, right, and right, I guess right. life is relative. So yes, it is. As long as you're but not that, new people addicted the problem, to nicotine, right. it was, they were doing it and and putting it flavored and marketing Ugh. it towards kids, and they were creating new users, not somebody using right. it to to quit smoking exactly. tobacco. I shouldn't. That's you're the, right. I should not have value judgment. I see people doing it, and I think less of them. I, I do like, what are you, you know, you know this, you know, you can't see their face, they're in this it's, fog. It's and, preferable to tobacco smoking. It is. I, I, I give them that. It's just the way they went about doing it. Instead of trying to just look at the market of people they could cure from tobacco smoking, they were looking at a bigger and bigger market be more and trying open. to find ways to create users. For value would. judgments. People want to do it that's personal freedom, whatever they want to do. I'm fine. I'm good. But I, I, I know. Can't help jo- it. Joe's not judgmental, so. No. You know. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, I just, I, I'm, in, I'm impressed. I'm trying, and it's a contraption too, isn't it? I mean, what do you do? It's I like know. metal, and you. I don't, I don't know, but you're you right. Know, we all have our. Do you know Sorkin? What's a? Is it a look, metal con- contraption? I don't know. I've seen ones that have a USB connector, and that you they plug <laughs> it in. I, is I don't that how you charge it? I, well, this is hard for me. I don't, I honestly, I, I'm, I'm a Luddite when it comes to vaping or any of these kinds of, th- I mean, I don't know anything. But I, look, it, it's good if people are going to quit smoking right. tobacco. Then we'll say oh, that. Really Just, don't, you know, you don't need to instill a new addiction from scratch. Because we know? got enough addictions. We, we do. We <laughs> do. Let me get my Starbucks. On Wall Street, there's a woman who beat the market. 
She's a devout believer in innovation, and she built her bets on companies like Tesla, Shopify, and Bitcoin into an exchange-traded fund with $27 billion in assets. Folks in business have postulated that she could be the greatest stock picker in the world. Her name is Kathy Wood, or as some Reddit traders like to call her, Queen Kathy, Aunt Kathy, Kathy Bay. She's the woman behind ARK Innovation ETF, which surged nearly 150% in 2020, which for context, that's nine times better than the year the S&P 500 had, and it's 25 times better than the Dow Jones Industrial Average. 25. After a year like that, inflows to her fund hit well over $10 billion in the first couple months of 2021. But so far, this year hasn't been quite as rosy. As tech stocks felt the squeeze in 2021, so did ARK's funds. In February and March, her flagship fund was down. But in an interview with CNBC amid the downturn, Kathy Wood was unconcerned. I love this setup. You know, the last time I was on, I think I said that this rotation was good news because uh, it meant the bull market was broadening out. It was strengthening. And uh, the, the worst thing that could have happened to us is to have the market narrowly focus on just our ilk of stock, the, the innovation space. Uh, instead, it has broadened out so that year to date, uh, I think it's uh, energy's up 40%, financials are up 27%. Our point of view, five-year time horizon, nothing has changed except the price. Since then, probably not to the surprise of Kathy Wood, things have started to turn around. ARK Innovation ETF is now up a little over 4% for the year. Regardless of her famous fund's performance, investors keep an eye on Wood's moves. And this week, yet another. After years of betting on Bitcoin through other exchanges, Kathy Wood's firm aims to own the asset directly. ARK Invest filed with the SEC to create a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. Here's Joe with the story. Wood's been uh, buying up proxies uh, for the digital currency via names like Coinbase and Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Now she's seeking to own the actual asset itself. If approved, the fund would trade under the ticker symbol ARKB and would track the performance of Bitcoin. ARK's SEC filing noted that a significant amount of the value of Bitcoin is speculative, which uh, could lead to increased volatility. Last week, the SEC again postponed a decision to approve the first Bitcoin ETF, Chairman Gary Gensler has called for more regulation of crypto exchanges, greater investor protection. I just, uh, while we're talking about uh, Kathy Wood, I said I requested a three-month ARC chart. Remember, it was, it was threatening to break under 100, and um, it may have traded there, but now it has made a rebound. And there are a lot of people tying the overall market to, to a stabilization in that ETF. Well, it, what's her. been interesting is every time one of her big holdings really gets, takes a pummeling, she doubles down and, and takes the opportunity to buy more. Yeah. Um, that work as long as you buy the dips. Right. Um, did everyone think this was a big deal yesterday, this, this uh, Ricardo Salinas? So we got El Salvador, got a potential bank in Mexico. These are a lot of data points. At the same time, you've got, I mean, aren't there some clouds gathering in regulatory ways for Bitcoin and for crypto? Well, you heard what happened in the UK. Yeah. Uh, but yes. In China. Potentially. Meanwhile, China. El Salvador. It, I, I was surprised Bitcoin wasn't down yesterday. I, I well, this, this, I mean, when a bank says, yeah, we're going to uh, 
you know, he's a billionaire, Ricardo Salinas Pliego, and said his bank working to be the first Mexican lender that will accept uh, the crypto. So a lot of uh, swirling things, but back above 35, I, which back, is don't you, notable. Don't you imagine that you're going to see over the next six months, you're going to see more people accepting it on one side. You'll see some of the big, even the big U.S. banks are going to open their, I imagine, their, their coins and token operations of some sort. And then the other side, you're going to see China and others, potentially the U.S. government, make other kinds of moves. And so the question is, what does that, what does that ultimately mean? Yeah. I don't know if it means it's going to move material. The question is, is, is this the floor, right? Is 30000 a floor and then it, it makes the step up? Well, listen to, listen to yourself. It's 30000 the floor. It was at I'm asking. Eight. Yeah, I don't I know. know. It was at eight. I mean, it, it went to 20 back down to three. When it goes to 65, right. and, you know, Kramer's been talking about I'd buy it again at 10 or 12 or something like that. So the question in everyone's mind is, is it possible, given maybe it has become more mainstream and more accepted, maybe it doesn't have 80 and 90 percent pullbacks anymore in a single year. Maybe it's actually gotten, you know, it's gotten above stall speed to where it stays. If it stays above 30, that is significant. Because on the way up, you know, people were needling me, Melissa and I think Santoy's, it was at 28. And they said, well, you know, you, at eight, you were talking about how you liked it. What about 28? And I'm like, wow, 28? <laughs> uh, 28, I, I don't know if I like it at, I don't know if I'd buy it at 28. Then it went to 65. So now we're back down at 35. What do you, th 35, is that really cheap? Is that a fair price now for Bitcoin? Do we accept that this cryptocurrency is worth over $30,000, Sorkin? I'm not willing to accept anything because I don't know, I, I don't think <laughs> I any know of us you. know what it's, actu what it's actually know. worth. Well, and the other thing is, as you know, once you've got it to 30, it makes it harder to get to 60, makes it harder to get to 90, makes it harder to get to, you know, a million. I'm not if worried that's about that, I'm worried about eight. I'm not worried about well, getting it. If it stays above 30, depends, it really I guess is worth It depends I mean, what your basis is, Joe, of right, course. But, right, right, you know, right. there's a, well, lot, of, that, a yeah. lot of people, unfortunately, whose true basis actually was 60. I know. That's the thing. 50, 40, none of it so feels good. So there was a good. point where it was going to be lower for the year. It's, it's turned around and, and recovered from that. Yeah. So. No, it held 30. And it, it was yeah. recently, it looked like it was going to break under 28. Recently, yeah, it, wasn't that last weekend last, or the no, weekend before? In the last several weeks, yeah, since, since we've been. So that's been my here. question. Is 30 really, remember what Novogratz said, 40 might be, then he said 30 might be. I guess 20 is the next. And then, you know, Kramer, you got a 10, 10 or 11. And all of this will piss somebody off in that. I, I hate, I'm not going to use that word, but I know we're going to get. Uh, uh, yeah, it is too late. But uh, the people that really love it, uh, we've said something already. I know that it uh, probably. At Joe Squawk. Own. Feel free. No, 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 don't tell. It, it's, is it, it's at Squawk Joe. It's at Joe Squawk. I thought it was at Squawk Joe. Pretty sure it's at Joe Squawk. I think it's at. What's, what are you, Sork? And people for. People send in stuff to me about you and they forget your R. Now, am I allowed to send back and say, if you really want to reach him, it's Andrew R. Sorkin? Because I. Andrew I'm not R. Sorkin. I'm not going to retweet at it. At me. Or. At me, as they say. Or don't at me, but at me. Andrew R. Sorkin. <laughs> at them all. And for the record, it is at Joe Squawk and at Becky Quick. Coming up next, United Airlines has bagged the biggest aircraft order in its history. It's a huge bet on post-pandemic travel, and as it turns out, it's good news for you and for your legroom. These craft are bigger, brighter, and better. 
CEO Scott Kirby. We have the best international product of any airline you know, in the country today, but upgrading our domestic experience for customers is really what this order is about. SquawkPod will be right back. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Stand by Joe in three. This is Squawk Pod. One, his mic, Q. United launching a new flight plan this morning with its largest new aircraft order in the company's history. This is uh, really significant, Phil, and I want to talk to you after, uh, after we hear about it. Phil LeBeau joins us now with more. Good to see you. Uh, at the NASDAQ today, uh, Phil. Good to be in the big city, Joe. Uh, this is a massive order, the largest in United's history, and the largest by an airline in at least a decade. Here's how it breaks down. United ordering 270 narrow-body planes. 200 of them will be the 737 MAX. Most of those will be the largest of the MAXs, the MAX 10. And then you've got 70 Airbus A321neos. They're also going to be replacing 200 single-aisle regional jets with these larger mainline jets. So what you have is a major upgrade in the fleet for United Airlines, and they're also going to be retrofitting all of their narrow-body cabins, which for some people have been in need of an upgrade for some time. They're going to be adding more premium seats, more seatback entertainment. Seatback entertainment, by the way, on every single seat. They're going to have larger bins across the board, a big retrofit uh, to upgrade the interior and the cabin experience. And all of this is happening because they need it. This is an airline that has the oldest fleet. Jeffrey's providing this information to us. Look at United. No comparison against the other U.S. carriers in terms of how old their fleet is. And at times it feels like it's an old fleet when you're flying United. They're out to change that and change it in a big way between now and 2026. In fact, they're going to be receiving one new airplane every three days in 2023. They expect to create 25,000 jobs, many of them frontline jobs, People who are either ticket agents, uh, working at airports, et cetera, interfacing with the customer, as well as pilots, maintenance, you name it. They're going to add 25,000 jobs through 2025. Take a look at shares of Boeing, which will, you know, this is a big move for Boeing to say, okay, we've got 200 of the maxes that are now part of a new commitment, an all-new commitment. These are not options that United is ordering from Boeing. And also take a look at shares of Airbus with 70 A321neos, the largest of the neos. So this helps United in a number of ways. Hey, Phil, I liked where you said these really small planes and these small seats. For some people, 
They have a problem with those. So you got a friend? Is that what you're saying? Somebody? No, you got, I've you, got myself. You, <laughs> Let's be blunt about this. I have taken more than a few regional I'm jets kidding, yeah. between New York and Chicago. Some well, people am, am have a problem. Am I happy to get the frequency? Yes. But you're, when you're crammed into a regional jet, you come away going, really? Is this what I paid for? Great, baby. Um, <laughs> and I think that a lot of people will look at this announcement by United and they'll say, bravo. It's I've about flown. time that you do this in terms of stepping up the customer experience. And they will be making major changes between now and when they have all of the airplanes delivered by 2026. I, I the cabin's just, really going to stand up. So I know which ones you're talking about, and I like them. I like those Embraers, and I like the one on one seat on one side, and I like the de- uh, getting on and off is really easy, but, they, but they are small. Turbulence, small. too. And, and the, the, way, and like the Bombardier put- ones, too. The, sorry. Right. I was just going to say, I like the, the idea that they're putting entertainment back because I thought that was kind of going away the idea that everybody's supposed to bring your own tablet or you know well that was the Becky, Wi-Fi that was doesn't a always big work move by United issue. a number of years ago yeah. where they I said hey that. you can download the app and I did on the way here I flew Never United works. on the way to New York and and a lot of people do download the app and they're watching I've the movie it. but yeah. a lot of other people on other airlines and I noticed this when I fly other carriers they like having live entertainment in the seat back and you get that on some United flights yeah. but on a lot of flights it's so, hey download the app so I, I got so many things. This is, and we should, did we ever really think that we're never going back to leisure travel? I, it's the growth industry of the future. Everybody likes to go places, whether it's Europe or, so we knew that. But is this an endorsement or a bet on business travel yes. returning? Yes. Yep, 100%. In fact, yesterday in a briefing with reporters, one of the first things that Scott Kirby talked about is that they believe business travel is coming back full. Gone is the discussion of maybe a little bit. A lot of people don't want to come back on the road. They see it a steady increase. Now, is it going to be all the way back by the end of this year? No, but they do see a steady uh, move higher. And they also are very optimistic about transatlantic travel. They believe that next summer, not this summer, but next summer will be a record, all-time record for transatlantic travel. Mm -hmm. And so they believe that we are headed back to Big days in terms of people flying, especially here in the U.S. for business, as well as around the world. Yeah. Well, it'll be a big change. I mean, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, whenever I, any of those places are always those smaller jets, Phil. This is a big deal to be getting rid of all those uh, little regional. I liked them. I liked the, what were the other ones? The, uh, uh, the, the I, I referenced it. Bombardier made a yep. really nice little one. And Embraer. Sure. Those things. And Embraer. Are- and look, they're, they're very, there's nobody saying that you shouldn't fly some regional jets. Yeah. And there will always be regional jets that are needed within the system for smaller markets. Look, if you're going to a Charleston, South Carolina, it's hard to see the volume so you only fly larger jets in there. You can take some larger jets in there, but you're also going to have carriers who are going to say, we have just enough volume for a regional. Perfect. Yeah. I don't think anybody's arguing about that. But when you're going from New York to Chicago on a regional, I mean, you come away more than once. <laughs> I, I, w- I would hear from other executives who were traveling. They're like, oh, this is for the birds. Right. Um, it's that kind of thing that you, United yeah. wants to You know add. some people that think those seats are small. I heard you. Yeah, you, there are people that you know that, that have a problem with those. I heard you say that, Phil. Thank you. Uh, you, you, you have a friend who has a problem with, with sitting in, in there. <laughs> Me. <laughs> I have that problem. 
Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines, joining us here uh, at the NASDAQ uh, to uh, discuss what is a huge day for the airline. Uh, let's talk about the numbers overall. Yeah. 270 new airplanes, 200 of them being 737 Maxes, the other 70s being Airbus A321neos. And you're also going to be replacing your regional jets, yeah. most of them, with larger jets. What's the thought process here behind this decision? Well, first, it's great to be here in person again. Absolutely. And, and seeing everyone. Uh, really what we're trying to do is upgrade the whole customer experience. And the single seat, 50 class, 50 seat regional jets, uh, you know, are some of the toughest customer experience. And at United, we really needed to get that to be a world-class, first-class product. We have the best international product of any airline you know, in the country today, uh, but upgrading our domestic experience for customers is really what this order is about. And while it's a big aircraft order, it's really about upgrading the customer experience with new airplanes, but also brand new interiors, the best interior, seatback entertainment, and all the amenities that we're going to put on the airplane. When you were at American Airlines, before you came over to United, did you realize as you were coming over to United, look, this is a bit of a sleeping giant? They've got a great network, but they also have the oldest fleet, and they frankly have interiors and an experience that is not living up to the competition. Well, when I first went to United, I always knew that there was a ton of potential, and everyone in aviation thinks of United Airlines as this airline with lots of potential that never really realized it. But this has been a big part of it. We had to actually create the product that customers want, and that's really what this is about, is giving the customers the product that they want, because we're already in the biggest cities in the country. Our hubs are in the best places in the country, but we needed to create the product that customers will choose to fly United Airlines. You have the largest or the oldest fleet right now at more than 16 years for the average age of your aircraft, but you're going to be taking what? One new plane on average every three days in yeah. 2023? By the time we get to 2023, one new airplane every three days, which I don't know of any airline in history that's even come close to that. Uh, but this really is about, as we come out of COVID and as we have confidence in the future, being able to rapidly change the airline for customers. You're not paying list price for these aircraft. I know people always say that. They're like, how much are they spending? And, and list price would be somewhere around $33, $35 billion. Clearly, you're not paying that yeah. much. But the critics will look at this and they'll say, this is an airline that already has heavy debt. And there are a lot of questions about yeah. how you're going to pay that back in addition to whether or not business is going to come back. Yeah. both in terms of uh, corporate as well as international. What do you say to those critics? Yeah, well, first on the second point, we believed, you know, back in April of last year, we were unique, really the only ones that believed that business travel international would ultimately come back. Every data point as we've gone through the crisis makes that get stronger and stronger today. And today, you know, it's an understatement to say I'm confident that business travel is going to come back. Business travel is going to come back. It's going to be a little bit different. Some of it will be people commuting instead of driving to work. Uh, there will be things like that are different. But we've seen a huge acceleration even in the last few weeks. And real quick, before I toss it to Joe, yeah. and I know you got a question, yeah. Joe. When you say business travel is coming back, where are we at right now? And when do you yeah. think that we're at more than or back to yeah. 2019 levels? So we're down about 60% now. But literally 10 weeks ago, we were down close to 90%. That tells you something about the acceleration. And all the anecdotes we hear from customers is, once we get to September, they're going to be back on the road, particularly for client-facing visits. I don't think business travel comes back 100% probably until 2023, but I think we have a big step function increase in September, another one in January when people have budgets again. Okay. Uh, but, but we absolutely think it's coming back 100%.
Joe, go ahead. Thanks. Hey, Scott, planes are important, obviously, but I think airlines, and I think about how daunting what you do actually is, and, and that makes your people so important uh, yeah. across the board, from ticketing agents to pilots to, to flight attendants, anybody that maintenance, everything. And I still, because I'm old, I still think of Continental and United. I think of, of the separation and the culture, trying to put those two airlines together and some of the issues uh, that, that, and I guess it's been years now, and we've been through the pandemic. Where does that stand? Labor issues, uh, the, the culture clash between United and Continental. Is it one airline, everybody happy, everybody's united, so to yeah. speak? No. I, th I think we all are united, and uh, you know, I don't hear that at all. Uh, of course, I wasn't here at the time of the merger, but you know, we are united as a single airline. And I think we were getting there uh, before under Oscar's leadership as we went into the pandemic, but particularly coming out of the pandemic, everything we went to, the amount of pride at United Airlines for the role we played in the global humanitarian response and flying 13,000 cargo flights, carrying over a billion tons of equipment around the world, the humanitarian response in India most recently. That pride has created a sense at United Airlines that it's our destiny to be the leading uh, airline in the world. And this order is another part of, you know, the, even the rumors of it. When I flew in yesterday, employees were incredibly excited, uh, trying to get me to spill the beans on what it was going to actually be. Uh, but our people feel really good, and, and I think that's in our past. Seatback Entertainment. Yeah. Uh, and somebody brought it up on the call yesterday. It used to be if you mentioned it to an executive at United, say, three or four years ago, oh, no, 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 no. You download the app, and that's good enough. Yeah. You realize the value of the Seatback Entertainment, correct? Yeah. I, look, Seatback Entertainment, I think, is one of the most important things. We can see it in our data. You know, every, all of the customer service scores get massively better just from having Seatback Entertainment. People like the food more. They like, you know, they don't care as much about the flight delays. You know, everything is better with Seatback Entertainment. You walk through a cabin, you see 60-plus percent of people using it. I flew this month and my seven-year-old son had Seatback Entertainment. He was bouncing up and down to tell me when we got off the plane how he played Battleship and won two games and lost only one uh, on the flight. And I mean, just it's such an improvement in the experience for customers. Let's talk about international travel. Um, it sounds like you believe, and I know on the call yesterday, you guys said that you think next year yeah. is a record year for transatlantic travel. What about Asia? Yeah. So we think Asia is going to take a little longer to recover combination of uh, they've had much closer to zero tolerance on COVID. Uh, they're just in a different place than we are here in the U.S. or in Europe. And so we don't think Asia is coming back probably for, you know, 18 months uh, until it really comes back. The good news is, you know, all of our airplanes that were flying to Asia, we've lauded a lot of new service to India and Africa, and that service has done really well. Uh, so we have the ability to, to wait, we'll have strengthen Europe next year, Africa, India, other places, uh, and wait for Asia to, to get back to full probably 18 months from now. Joe? Yeah, thanks. And, and we've talked with, about airlines a lot. And Andrew pointed things out a lot, Scott, about, you know, just how to make sure that, that airlines keep enough in reserve for, for things that really only affect the airline industry. That I, I, mean, I think of 9-11, I think about, we, we can't guarantee that there's not going to be another pandemic. So how do you ever keep a rainy day fund so that, you, you know, you're not going to need uh, any assistance again in, in, in the future? Is it ever possible that, that an airline can be totally impervious to, to future uh, government uh, assistance given the nature of your business? Is it ever possible to expand? Should it be more, more like a utility? Or I, I don't understand how you yeah. do that and how you can ensure that that won't happen again with such a, 
you know, it, it is perilous what you do. Yeah, we are, we, we are more subject than most to what we call black swans. Um, uh, although I hate the term black swan because if black swans happen once a decade, they're really not a black swan, they're just different events. Um, you know, historically we thought of it, if we could survive something that was twice as bad as 9-11, which was by far the worst thing that ever happened to aviation, uh, then we were okay. Of course, COVID threw us something that was, you know, an order of magnitude worse than even 9-11 was from a financial perspective. Um, the fact that we made it through, and thanks to uh, the bipartisan support in, in Congress and in the administration to help not just aviation, but the whole economy. The fact that the whole U.S. economy uh, made it through as strong as it did for this event, you know, is, is a testament to what they did in Washington. Uh, but for aviation in particular, you know, while I hope we'll never have another event like this, you can't obviously guarantee it, uh, but we can position ourselves uh, even better in the future to have a stronger balance sheet uh, so that we can get through the crisis. We're going to have more cash on the balance sheet. Uh, we're going to pay down debt. You know, the amazing thing about this plan that we're announcing today while we're buying, you know, 30-something billion at list price worth of airplanes, uh, by 2026, we actually expect to have our leverage ratio below two and a half, and it was 3.2 coming into COVID. Um, so, you know, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen immediately, but uh, we're well positioned for the future. And, and it really is good that, you know, the response to see the whole economy, not just aviation, the whole economy responding like it is coming out of COVID. Hey, Scott, I want to talk to you about staffing levels. We know the problems that American has had recently where they had to cancel a lot of flights because they just didn't have staffing. There were some storms that came up, too. Um, the Philadelphia chapter of the American Pilots Association has said that what they've seen, initial forward-looking data suggests that management has published and sold a schedule through December of this year that it probably doesn't have profit, proper staffing to execute. Is that a problem United is facing? And um, what are you doing in terms of hiring and staffing? So United is unique, and really all of our large competitors have, have at one point or another in the last few months had staffing issues. But because we thought this was going to be a long crisis you know, in April of last year, we worked with our pilots union. We were the only airline that negotiated a deal with our pilots union to keep all of our pilots in place, trained and current on their equipment. And as a result of that, we're unique in not having these staffing issues. But it really is a testament to the partnership we have with our labor unions and our pilots in particular that allowed us to negotiate that deal so that we could be confident that we could get through crisis, the crisis, uh, but then be prepared to bounce back at 100%. And we should point out, Part of this plan is you expect to add 25,000 jobs by 2025, am I correct? So you're at 68,000, you expect to be up to what, 90, 93,000 by yeah, the time this is correct. done? And most of these will be front-facing, yeah. you know, whether it's gate agents, uh, ticket agents, whoever, et cetera. Yeah, these are, these are not really jobs, these are careers. Uh, you know, we are creating 25,000 union, frontline workers, um, you know, the kinds of jobs where without a college education, you know, pilots, flight attendants, uh, mechanics that can make a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. There's just not many of those left in the U.S. economy. Real quick, because we're up against a break. What do you expect for airfares? Let's say three months from now. Well, I think it's certainly domestically, airfares are going to stay under pressure because business demand isn't really back yet. Uh, they're going up, but they're still a great value, <laughs> a great price across the board. Uh, my guess is prices across the Atlantic are going to return to kind of more normal levels uh, quicker than the rest of the, the country. Um, but still, a great time to travel and great bargains out there.
Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines. Huge day, largest order ever in the history of the company, 270 new airplanes. But I think the more interesting thing, guys, is the complete renovation of the interiors of these aircraft. That is making a statement about improving customer service. Scott, thank you very much Thanks, for Phil. being here. Guys, I'll send it back to you. All right, Phil. As you said earlier, you know, some, some people, some people, you know, those seats are small for, for uh, some people. Thanks. <laughs> some people. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Cheese will be next. Next, learning new things. I'd like to learn another language, Joe. I took four years of Latin. That's useful. In high school. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Duolingo is planning to go public today. The company behind the popular language app says that revenue more than doubled during the first quarter compared to a year ago. Uh, it did, however, post a $13.5 million loss for that quarter. I'd like to learn another language, Joe. I was thinking, this, that, we, you know what I was thinking finally, Andrew, that I'm never going to be like where you can just speak fluently probably, but I, I could just learn a lot of nouns in different languages and do a lot better, I think. You know what I'm saying? It, if you I, learn a I lot exactly of, what you don't saying. need to be, you know, to be able to, you know, in Latin, I took four years of Latin. That's useful. In high school, in case I ever, like Dan Quayle, in case I ever visit Latinia. Uh, but, uh, suppose, you know, they told me that everything that, that the all the other languages all. come from, but I remember, Agricola, Agricole, and Porto, Portavi, Portatus. That's about... Veni, uh, Vidi, Vici? Veni, Vidi, Vici, mm -hmm. yeah. Caete, tienes nada en tu cabeza. So what about that, Andrew? What about that look? Because there's a lot of words where if you just know the, na the noun, you can probably... And I, I'm going to give you a secret about French, Andrew. I'm going to yep. give you a secret after... It? Have you watched you watch Call My Agent, right? They, I have. They use all the same words. They just say them a little differently. I mean, that's the trick. All the same words. That's the trick. Met Bet you blend over there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. With my flip-flops and my yeah. uh, I'm with her, I'm with idiot t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know. There's I'm a McDonald's. We'll just, do, we'll, just, we'll just do Pig Latin and call it a day. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And when they're not on the air, they're pretty much always on Twitter. At me, as they say. Or don't at me, but at me. Andrew R. Sorkin, Becky Quick, and Joe Squawk. Or at Squawk CNBC. And finally, to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show and from our Twitter right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. 
With OneTravel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With OneTravel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit OneTravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel.